I couldn't get through to him. And so at the time, I just remember feeling like this glass wall between us and me reaching out to him and him reaching out to me. That was when I learned I can still speak spirit to spirit. Hello, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. Today I have for you Wendy's story. Wendy is mom to nine children, one of which is Ammon, a 15-year-old boy with a rare syndrome and autism. Ammon didn't receive either of these diagnoses until he was five and then nine, and that really affected Wendy's journey. In this episode, she shares how traumatic it was to worry about her son and to have those concerns minimized and not taken seriously by those around her. She then tells us the incredible story of his eventual diagnosis of an extremely rare syndrome and how her grief was affected by that. There are so many moments during this conversation that I know will resonate with you and I'm really excited to share it with you. Okay, so now for how I was connected with Wendy. It's kind of a cool story. So another of her nine children is Brian, my little sister's husband. Wendy is my sister's mother-in-law, and Ammon is her brother-in-law. So I'm not sure what that makes me and Wendy relational-wise, but I can tell you that when I found out that Sarah was dating this great guy with a younger brother with a rare syndrome and also how close they were, I was so excited, and I'm sure you guys of all people understand why I was excited. So my sister Sarah told Wendy about the podcast, and she's been a loyal listener ever since. Anyway, I think it's a pretty cool connection to have, and you know, I've met Ammon, and I've been to their home several times, and watching Ammon interact with his mom is the sweetest thing. Okay, so Wendy lives in Utah with her husband, Andrew and their nine children, Natalie, who's 24, Brian, my brother-in-law, who's 23, Zach, who's 21, Landon, who's 19, Sam, who is 17, Ammon, who is 15, Ellie, who is 12, and their nine-year-old twins, Simon and Luke. Wendy is a lover of vintage books and hiking in the mountains behind their home. Let's jump in. Hi, Wendy. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm really excited to chat with you tonight all about your life with Ammon and kind of your diagnosis saga or, you know, your your journey in, in having uh, diagnoses for him. But first, I would love for you to start out by kind of sharing who Ammon is and what makes Ammon Ammon. So Ammon is 15 years old and he is almost 6'4". He is just this huge, <laughs> lovely person. Uh, and he uh, is a big, huge fan of Rice Krispie cereal. He thinks mm. that it's really awesome to go in our cupboards and just get out a mixing bowl. And, you know, he wants to fill his whole bowl with Rice Krispies. So I have to, <laughs> we have to manage that all the time. But um, he is just delightful and um, he is non-speaking. He uses an iPad to communicate his basic, his basic needs and wants. 
He tells us a lot on his iPad over and over when it's time to go home, if we're somewhere, or he'll say, I want pizza. I want pizza. You know, he'll just repeat <laughs> those things. But, uh, developmentally, he's, um, it just depends because he's um, probably more like a, about an 18 month old in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, but he has these amazing things where he can, like, he can read, he can mm -hmm. read most, he's probably on about a seventh grade reading level, wow. uh, sixth to seventh grade. So, I mean, he can read and even though he's non-speaking, he can sing, mm -hmm. which is really an unusual thing for, I don't think I've ever seen, seen a child who wasn't able to talk, but then can sing. Right. And like lyrics and everything, yeah. right? Yeah. Lyrics and everything. So, I mean, you wow. kind of have to be his family to know what he's singing, but you can hear the mm -hmm. tune. And if you're plugging in, you can, you can hear the, the song. So it's mm -hmm. to me, I feel like that's quite remarkable. So yeah, I have a favorite song that makes me think of Ammon. It's called Extraordinary Magic by Ben Rector. When I think of Ammon, there's magic trails behind him. He is such a unique person. I've had so many people tell me how unique he is and how guileless and just the perfect pure love that he has. Hmm. So I love Ammon. Well, <laughs> that was a good little overview. So let's hop into his pregnancy and then going through his birth. So we're going to like start day one, negative, you know, negative four months, whatever, when you first noticed anything different about Ammon or unique about, about him or your pregnancy with him? So my pregnancy was normal. The delivery was normal. He was full term. And then I just remember when I held him for the first time, I had this feeling inside of me that something wasn't right. Looking back, I think, you know, how could I have known that just holding him for the first time, but something in my mom heart told me that there was just something not right. And then right around like three and four weeks and five weeks, he wasn't smiling. I couldn't even engage him and he just slept and he's my sixth baby. And so, you know, I kind of knew infants more at that time and felt more confident in my the development stages of an infant and just notice that he was sleeping so much as an infant, which most moms would just be so happy about. But for whatever reason, I just kept having these little alarms go off in my heart and just in my mind just thinking, well, that's, you know, just seemed unusual. And then, and then right around like four months and five months where babies are engaging more, you know, he would smile and he would, he was such a happy, sweet baby. But then I started noticing that he wasn't having any strength in his lower limb. You know, like a six month old can kind of bounce on your lap and jump on mm -hmm. your lap and his legs would just buckle under him. And so at my regular appointments with my doctor, I said, I just noticed that he's not able to have any kind of strength in his legs. And also his head was just getting so big, so fast. And so we did a CAT scan and that was normal. And then my doctor just said, you know, he's such a chubby baby. He'll catch up. I just kept getting patted on the back. 
And then by his nine month appointment, my doctor finally was listening to me. And I'm just like, there is something not right. I could sit him in a room full of marbles and he wouldn't put anything in his mouth. Oh, wow. He never explored the world through his mouth like so many babies do. And so he referred me to early intervention at that time and a physical therapist. And we started doing physical therapy for his for his legs. And then we just started noticing he didn't have the pincer grasp. He wasn't putting anything in his mouth, anything that I tried to feed him, he would gag and throw up. And so he just wasn't even swallowing very well, except for liquids. And so it seemed like to me, I wanted the world to stop and, and just pay attention that all of these alarms were going off in my mind. But I wasn't receiving to me in my mind, the reaction or the response to the Mm. gravity that I was feeling. It was more like, oh, he'll just need some therapy and then he'll catch up. And now just turning around and looking over that span of his development and just how, how hard one, every single thing he's ever done has been. It's kind of astounding just reflecting on it today when I was preparing for this, I was just thinking, I still have feelings that come up that are just kind of traumatic, (laughs) really traumatic actually for just the lack of response to that. I think at least this has been my experience and listening to a lot of other parents in our realm, especially it's like pediatricians often see themselves like as these reassuring like oh it's okay you're freaking out over nothing it'll all work out but that is the opposite reaction we want we don't want to be reassured we want to be validated and for it to be taken seriously so that our children can get the care they need so I think like in that moment you needed help and you needed more reaction and more testing or whatever But to just kind of be patted on the back, like I'm sure that was really minimizing and incredibly frustrating when you're like screaming into the void and no one seems to be listening to you. Exactly. I even had some dreams that I even had where I'm yelling, something is wrong with my baby and just waking up with that feeling of just, you know, and I still remember those dreams. And I remember, Maddie, that you mentioned in one of your episodes how guarded you are with your stories. And I even turned the episode off for a second because I was thinking, wow, I am too. I am extremely guarded with my stories with Ammon. I don't share very much about him. I think it's because there wasn't a response and because it was so minimized Mm. that I still carry that to where these stories, you know, my experiences in his life is so profoundly impacted my life and how grateful I am for him and just what I've seen and experienced through him. And I just think it's almost like I don't want to share those things because of those initial months when I was trying to reach out. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, Thinking about the definition, I guess, okay, so with 9-11, apparently there were two groups of people, people who were able to flee and run from the scene of that they were actually there in New York. And then there was a group who was trapped and the people who were trapped experienced huge symptoms of PTSD and the people who were able to flee 
did not. Like their their trauma was much more simple and able to be worked out a lot faster. So I think of that with this kind of situation where it's like you were, you know, you were not getting the response. You were not able to do what you wanted to do and being minimized like that probably had kind of the effect in a way traumatizing effect of being trapped and not being able to flee or not being able to act the way you you should have been able to and so anyway I think that reminds me of that that concept yeah well and it wasn't just with professionals it's one thing to reach out to a professional but it's another thing to as much and dearly as I love my family and even my husband and I to be honest he wasn't seeing what I was seeing and and so, I mean, I think people experience this and I think it, it does, you know, we do need to hear that. And that's been one of the, the healing aspects of your podcast for me is to hear other parents' experiences and to know that I'm not alone in that. And then that, you know, has aided in my own healing of that. So, you know, when your family doesn't respond and in their best intentions just wants to make it better and make you feel better in the moment that things are going to be okay. You know, he'll catch up. He'll be fine. Don't worry. But it doesn't really serve you. Yeah, totally. Cause even like with Kimball, I had a diagnosis, which I feel like aids in like the validity of your concerns, right? And be like, Oh, well he has this genetic syndrome. Like that's why I'm so upset. And that can add like I don't know, almost like credibility to like your worries and stuff. So I imagine that if you don't have that diagnosis yet, but you know, something is up and no one is listening to you, it'd be really hard to like, to emphasize enough to them, like, no, something's wrong. And I'm worried about him. If you don't have like that, that diagnosis to, and even when you do have a diagnosis, I think there is still this feeling of needing to like prove to them, you know, how hard it is or how hard your life is and they just can't understand. But like, especially I think, you know, not having that diagnosis yet probably added to that. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, I hope that we're getting better at diagnosing younger and, you know, pediatricians and developmental pediatricians can hear these stories and, you know, learn from, Mm -hmm. from things like this. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So how long was it before you received his genetic diagnosis? What happened between this time and then when he received that diagnosis? So I guess? when he was three, he started walking because it had taken him so long to learn to walk. His feet were just so, so tiny. And um, when he did walk, both of his inner ankle bones touched the ground when he would walk. Oh, wow. And so I had a really good friend who said, you know, you should take him to Shriners Hospital. And this is another sore point was I just didn't feel like my pediatrician and the other pediatricians that I was talking to were helping me navigate and find resources. I felt like that was part of the angst was just not only dealing with, you know, all of the emotional side of it, but then trying to learn how do I navigate and how do I find answers and carving out that path was, it's something mom shouldn't have to do when they're just trying to help yeah. their child. But, um, so we did that with Shriners. And then when I stopped nursing him at 12 months, he just went right into chronic constipation 
And this later, I found out that this is part of his syndrome, but his bowels just did not operate. And how many times I went in and said, his bowels are not working. Like he cannot, wow. he cannot have a bowel movement. And they said, oh, just give him, give him prune juice or apple juice. And, you know, so <laughs> oh I got a referral and to they- like the colorectal clinic at primary children's. So that sounds like it's like kind of snowballing, yeah. right? Like these different symptoms of like, whoa, this this is like getting more intense. And and at this point, you're still not being taken seriously as far as there being an overall diagnosis, right? Like you were still kind of being. Right. Person. At that time too, I just remember waking up every day and thinking his childhood is slipping away from me. He wasn't learning any words whatsoever, but that wasn't even the hardest part. The hardest part was he couldn't understand me. And so his receptive language is very, very, very compromised. And it wasn't just that he couldn't talk to me, but I couldn't get through to him. And so at the time, I just remember feeling like this glass wall between us and me reaching out to him and him reaching out to me. That was when I learned I can still speak spirit to spirit to him, which became a very, very real part of our communication and still has to this day. But coming to grips, you think about how much you enjoy when your little ones bring you a truck and show you the truck or, oh, look outside at the trash, the garbage truck, how excited they get or know anything they want to show you and how you start seeing the world through their eyes and how magical that can be as you raise your children and I think looking back that that was the hardest part of everything I mean it was one thing for him not to be discovering the world around him but it was another thing to have this barrier that I felt so intensely as his mom that he was really staying very infant-like and just wanting so badly to know what he was feeling and thinking and just every day waking up to that and going to bed thinking another day went by and his childhood keeps moving on and I felt like I was missing it Yeah. and this was like two years old and three and four and then five years old he started having seizures He was sitting at the counter and he just, um, his eyes rolled back in his head and then he went really pale. And so I just thought that was not normal and right. And so we started Mm -hmm. seeing a neurologist and they said, oh, he has like a little nest of irregular pathways here on the right side of his brain. And so he said, sometimes that can be a brain tumor. And so we, we went and had an MRI for him. Unfortunately, it wasn't a brain tumor, but you know, you go on these roller coaster rides of just, okay, should I just prepare, you know, because things just, they weren't getting better and you just think it's going to (laughs) keep getting worse. So what was that like to... In that time, I guess, when you were waiting for that appointment to go have the MRI and going into that, wondering if he had a brain tumor, like what was that like for you? I think at this point, I 
was in a place of not believing things were going to get better. I mean, I think I had heard so many false hopes from Mm -hmm. professionals and from my family. And I, I kind of dug down inside myself and was kind of in this place where I was bracing for almost anything at that point. And so I just remember feeling just really um, kind of numb, actually. Very, very numb as far as, you know, like, should I prepare myself for this other thing? And I already went from zero to a hundred, like in my mind, it was like, it was already told me that he had a brain tumor. (laughs) Does that make sense? Because I just was so used to things happening that were so, I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're, um, the worst case scenario to you kept happening. So I was like, well, why not this too? And might as well accept it because that'll be more painful to think it might not be that and then to later find it out. And so might as well just like, you know, assume that that's going to be what's happening. And, and that was your situation for most of it was suspecting something and it actually being what it was. Yeah, so why would it be different? Yeah. You know? That is a really good way to describe it because I was still just so wrapped up in those first five years were really difficult with grief. And so, um, yeah, what you said was absolutely true. Absolutely Mm. true. Yeah. When he was in kindergarten, we had seen a neurologist up at Shriners hospital who I absolutely love. She, you know, you have your favorite doctors and she was, Mm. I have to say one of my top five favorite doctors. I, absolutely adore her. And, um, she said, you know, I really think Ammon has a genetic syndrome because all along, you know, we were just told he has pervasive developmental disorder. He's not otherwise specified, just kept getting those answers from, especially my pediatrician. And she said, you know, I really think Ammon has a lot of the features of you know genetic syndrome and so she referred us to genetic counseling at primary children's hospital in utah here and we went and that day was it was just so interesting because we went in and you never know what to expect at these things they sat him they sat him there on the bed and they just combed over his entire body Like they were looking at how his hair was parted, how his fingers were pointed, the lines in his hands. Um, They were looking into his mouth, his eyes were, they were looking at his spine, at his toes. I mean, I just sat there and thought, wow, (laughs) my little boy is just getting completely dissected. I just had no idea what to expect, but they said, um, you know, we believe it could be you know, I think they narrowed it down to like five different syndromes, but there was one that they didn't test for at the time. And it was called opitz cavagia syndrome. And I, I looked it up and I, I thought immediately when I read about it, I said, this is what Ammon has. 
this is it. This has got to be it. And I mean, inside my mom gut was just like, this is it. And I know for so many families, you know, when you're trying to find a syndrome, I mean, it's like finding a star in the sky. I mean, what are the, a lot of families go undiagnosed, but I just felt like that was it. So when I looked up and I was reading about Obitz-Kavagia syndrome, and then I looked up Dr. Opitz is one of the doctors who was the researcher and the geneticist. And I, I was looking him up and it said, oh, he practices in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I thought, oh my goodness, because he, he was born in Germany and he practices in Salt Lake City, Utah. So I got on the phone, Wow! I got on the phone and I found his number for his practice up at primary children's. And I called the office and the receptionist answered. And I said, I believe that my son has the syndrome, Opitz-Kavagia syndrome, and I don't have a referral, but I would love to make an appointment. And, you know, you get so <laughs> with make, trying to make an appointment, trying to see geneticist, I thought she was going to say, and it's interesting because it was exactly 10 years ago this week. That's what's wow. We were having this conversation because it was, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. It was 10 years ago this week that I made that phone call. Wow. And, and I, I thought she was going to say, yeah, we will, we can see you in July. <laughs> you know, and this is, And so I was, I was bracing myself. In fact, Maddie, I remember where I was when I made this phone call. I remember exactly where I was driving. I still have that memory where I was driving when I made this phone call. And she said, can you come in next Wednesday? He has an opening next Wednesday. Oh my God. And I said, we will be there. And this is the day before Thanksgiving. And so I took Ammon early that morning to Salt Lake, which is about a 30 minute drive from us. And the whole time I remember thinking, okay, if it's not it, I'm going to be okay. It's going to be okay. If he says, Mm. this is not the syndrome, I was just preparing myself the entire drive up. And so I drove up and parked in the parking lot and got him out. And when I was walking up to the front door of his office, you know, the, on the outside door, the door opened and there was a woman standing there. And she said, I'm Mrs. Opitz. And I, <laughs> I love meeting the families that my husband has spent his life, you know, researching and working for. Hmm. And so that really just caught me off guard. <laughs> I just thought his wife wow. right here. And so she walked me in and we checked in and then she walked me back to his office where we met Dr. Opitz. Dr. Opitz is, I mean, he's this tall, just wonderfully kind older gentleman with a German accent. And he sat me down and he said, you know, I know that moms usually diagnose their kids before I do, but I want you to know that this is what your son has. And wow, it was just like, I don't, I had a hard time listening to the rest of, it was like a two hour 
appointment because he spent so much time with me. He sat there and he sat Ammon down and he just looked over Ammon kind of like the genetic counselors did. And he said, you know, he could be the poster child for this syndrome. (laughs) And the syndrome is like kind of like a larger head and um, just the way his jaw was and his eyes and his lower set ears. I mean, just the constipation, the seizures. I mean, it was just so healing and so validating. And it all came together in this one moment. And here I am sitting in front of the doctor who has spent years and years and years doing the research and we benefited from that so he was so kind and he said I want you to know that these kids have so many gifts and just focus on his gifts and that was what he told me so that's incredible yeah I mean like I can see why that would be so healing when this whole time you were screaming into the void, like something's happening and no one's taking it seriously. And we don't even have a roadmap of any kind, no idea of what to expect, what will happen next. And then to all of a sudden be like engulfed in that wise, all knowing (laughs) man who like has been studying, you know, your roadmap, like he knows what to tell you to do. And that ultimate validation to be like, you discovered this you knew this is what he had and you know to have that confirmed I'm sure is just so like euphoric it was incredible it was incredible I just still I can't even hardly think about it without weeping but um you know I can't tell you how many appointments we had sat through before that time just trying to figure out what was wrong and trying to figure it out and you know and so yeah it was just amazing it was like just this wash it was just this wash like the grief washing away and you know and we still faced so many mountains to climb so many mountains but I felt like then we had some footing we had our footing at that point where we could climb those mountains it wasn't just wandering about yeah, that makes so much sense. So was his autism diagnosis a similar experience or what was that like? So I know that zooms way ahead um, to when he's nine. Yeah, right? so when he was five, he was still drooling quite a bit. And then he started having autistic like tendencies where he would, we call it humming and where he makes kind of a a low noise where it's, you know, it's stimming. It's kind of like a regulating thing he does. A lot of it was the sensory. We were doing so much therapy at that point, you know, from the time he was little, we were just in therapy appointments every single week. It was interesting because that was another, you know, mom intuition is like, he has all these autistic-like tendencies, which we embraced. And, you know, it wasn't that we were shying away from that at all. And I actually knew we fit in the the autism world. I knew we belonged there, but Mm -hmm. I didn't have a diagnosis. And we'd been going to the speech clinic for about the year, about twice a week. And so we had been there for a long time at the speech clinic. And a professor actually reached out to me and said, would you like me to evaluate Ammon? And this is when he was nine. 
he was nine years old at that time. And yeah, I welcomed that. And we went through those evaluations and it was really interesting because I just remember the first IEP that I had when Emma was three in preschool and I walked away devastated by that IEP and just the mm-hmm. statistics of everything like, oh, Ammon's, you know, <laughs> this percentage in this and this, it was all just so, so, so low. And to me, right. I knew those things, but to just sit around a table and hear those things was just devastating for me. But by the time he was nine, I had sat through so many IEPs and I'd come to a better place where I knew and felt of who Ammon was. And I knew we were going to be on our own journey. And I knew he wasn't defined by you know, his IEP report. And so, yeah. so I just remember when she called me and said, let's meet. And so I went in and she was very, very careful with the information she was giving back to me. And I had to reassure her, you know, I'm okay. You can give me this information. I'm okay with this information. Like I've come to a good place, Totally. but he did get an official diagnosis, which was really great because then, you know, we could move forward that would just open up other things for Ammon and it opened up, you know, the autism community for us, which has been a big part of our lives. Yeah. And that seems like such a difference in you know, I guess in contrast to the beginning, like you said, where it was more distressing and like, oh my gosh, what's happening? These are red flags to kind of transform into like, oh no, like this is Ammon. Like I, you know, I'm totally fine with this diagnosis. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, like it probably was also like hard in some way. I don't, I don't want to like minimize that either, but to have come to that point where you are following his lead and like embracing, you know, all of Ammon, um, I'm sure I'm sure that was really cool to see that contrast, to be able to tell her like, no, I'm okay. Like you can just tell me. Yeah. You know, it looks bleak on paper, but Mm -hmm. by the time he was nine, I had seen and felt so much of all of the gifts that he carries. And we had already, I mean, the things that we had already gone through and you know in that point of our journey was it was a good place and he was in a good place too at school and so it was just kind of like yeah it's nice to have that diagnosis for him yeah like that belonging and more community and more resources so it's just nothing but good yeah for sure. coming of that yeah well, I, I would love to wrap up with kind of circling back to something you were talking about at the very beginning when you were saying that in the early days, you were like, what is happening? What's going on? And you said it was really difficult because there was that glass between you and, and Ammon and you felt like you couldn't really connect with each other. How has that evolved? Like, what is that like today? What's your connection with Ammon? I enjoy him so much. You know, he he still only has a few words that he speaks and his receptive language is it's slowly building very slowly building but it is something to be celebrated every time um, he learns something new 
I mean, I feel like <laughs> the things that I took for granted and my other kids, I just celebrate so much with Ammon. Like the other day I said, hand me your seatbelt. And he handed me his seatbelt. And I was so excited because, mm. you know, I'll still talk to him as if he can understand me. But there can be moments where I think, wow, he just knew what I asked him. And then I get really excited and he gets really excited and laughs. And what is so sweet about Ammon is that he has such a great sense of humor. And so I can be really silly with him and he gets the silliness, which I absolutely love. And using his iPad has really been, I mean, for me, like a Helen Keller breakthrough in a way, because when he says, I want a car wash. <laughs> and then I re mm -hmm. and I act on it. Let's go do a car wash. You know, I mean, he just, it's like, it's clicking for him that I can say something and be responded to. And so these are huge, mm -hmm. huge strides, but, um, mm -hmm. about, uh, eight or nine months ago, I was going to pick him up from ABA therapy and I actually hit someone's dog on the way to go get him. Um, oh, someone's wow. family dog and oh, I was so devastated and so when I picked him up I had been crying and mm -hmm. so I I picked him up and he got in the car and I just couldn't hold in my tears I just was crying and I buckled him in and we were driving down this the road and and he reached out and touched my cheek and he said owie and I said yeah I'm sad I mean I'm really sad mm -hmm. and he got his iPad and he was kind of scrolling through and I hear this love mom, love mom. And it was like, it was the first time that he'd ever told me that he loved me. He expresses it all the time. He loves hugs. Hugs is one of his favorite words, huggy. He says huggy all the time. And hug. I mean, for that, for that to happen, and just think about like the grief that I went through for so long because I couldn't feel like I could get to where that would ever happen and how, how amazing that felt and the restored hope of our future and teaching him to type and communicate and what that could look like down the road and how exciting that is and just shedding all of the timelines away just in Ammon's time and as we work for it you know I feel like he will be able to communicate more than maybe I could even imagine so mm. I have a lot of hope which is it's a good feeling mm. that is the sweetest story oh my gosh I love that I love how that that like illustrates so many parts of like how far he's come and and it's just his love for you and concern for you. That is so sweet. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, and you, I don't know if you, oh. you may feel this too, like just the guarded hope, you know, there's a, there's mm -hmm. a guarded hope that I have felt yeah. since he was born and, or since he was tiny, tiny, I just, I've realized that I just guard hope and um, feels good to allow that feeling to <laughs> to 
to be felt and yeah. yeah there is hope for that communication yeah oh totally I think I'm pretty sure every single person listening can relate to that guarded hope because I think you know again it kind of goes back to how like a lot of times it was kind of the worst case scenario that happened or like you know we did get the hard news that other people are able to avoid or whatever so it does feel kind of scary to hope for things because then you might be disappointed but those moments when you're like wow this actually happened those are so sweet yeah especially when it's so unexpected you know so yeah oh i love that well thank you so much for sharing your story with ammon and you know the the things that you have gone through with him i really appreciate it thank you i love sharing about ammon to people that i know will receive it (laughs) yes to see adorable photos of wendy and her family head to their website therarelifepodcast.com you can also connect with her on Instagram. I'll put a link for her Instagram account and mine in the show notes. Also in the show notes is a link to the episode she mentioned where I talk about being protective over my stories with Kimball in fear that others won't take them seriously. So that's episode 64. Join us next week for Wendy's special topic episode. It is one everyone of us needs to hear. All about processing through guilt and shame when we feel like we've caused our child's disabilities and when we struggle to do all the things like appointments, etc., that are required of us. Don't miss it. See you then.